I'm going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and we are going to start a series that I'm going to do this week and next week, just a two-week series, so a brief one, called Chasing Donkeys. So today we're going to talk about chasing donkeys. If you've never heard this story from 1 Samuel chapter 9, I believe God's going to speak to your heart today concerning God's purpose for your life, God's plan for your life. And we're going to talk about chasing donkeys and really getting to a place where we really begin to chase after those things that really matter, the things that really matter. One of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Francis Chan, and he said this. He said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but should be of succeeding in life at things that don't really matter, right? It's not the fear of failure. It's the fear of succeeding and being very successful in things that don't really matter. Man, that quote just got me years ago when I heard it, and I've, I've repeated it many times because I think there is this fear of failure, okay? We have a fear of failure. I understand that. But our greater fear maybe should be that we live our whole life and we're very successful at certain things, but we find out when we get to the end of the li our life that those things really did not matter. And so I think we need to reprioritize and, and get a hold of our value system and say, hey, what is really important in life and, and what isn't? And so there's a story in the, in the Bible, a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul was just ordinary, man. He was just plain ordinary. In fact, I would say this, if you really look at the scriptures, Paul was, I mean, Saul was kind of below ordinary. He was just a little bit below ordinary. And so, but you know, when God calls you, he doesn't look at your past. He doesn't look at your heritage. He doesn't look at what side of the tracks you're born on. He doesn't look at cultures. He just believes that there's purpose inside of each one of us. Why? Because he put it there. Amen. And so Saul is commissioned by his father. In fact, let's look at it. First Samuel chapter nine to go looking for something. It says this in first Samuel chapter nine, verse three, it says, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father were lost. And Kish said to his son, please take one of the servants with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. So he takes his servant, right? Saul takes his servant and he begins to go off and he begins to look for the donkeys, right? And so they're looking and he goes to one place and the donkeys aren't there. And he goes to, the Bible says he goes to another place and the donkeys aren't there either. And then he ultimately ends up at this last place thinking that surely they're going to be here. They've wandered off and he, he goes there and they're not there. Now days have gone by. In fact, it could be even weeks that gone by because Saul says to his servant, he says, hey, hey, we need to go back because our father's going to stop worrying about the donkeys. He's going to start worrying about us. So we better get back home. And the servant says to Saul, you know what? There's a prophet that's not far from here. Why don't we go ask him where the donkeys are? Maybe God will speak to him and show us where the donkeys are. So the Bible says that they didn't have a gift. They wanted to bring a tribute to the man of God, but they ended up finding a coin. And so they had a, a piece of silver that says that, okay, we're going to find the prophet. Now they called this prophet a seer. So we're going to find the, the prophet. We're going to ask him where the donkeys are. And maybe he has some insight. Maybe he could tell us, right? So they go and they find the prophet in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Go, go over to verse number 19. Samuel is the prophet, and so Saul, Saul, Saul finds him, and Saul actually goes up to him and says, hey, do you know where the prophet is? Not knowing that Samuel was actually the guy, right? Verse number 19, it says this, and Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. 
Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I'll let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. Verse 20 says this, But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found, and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? Now watch this. Saul goes up to Samuel and says, Hey, do you know what the prophet is? And Samuel says, I'm him. In fact, I want you to stay here. We're going to have lunch today. In fact, I want you to spend the night with me. And tomorrow I'm going to tell you what you're looking for. Tomorrow I'm going to give you an answer. But I want you to know this. The answer that I'm going to give you is not the answer that you're looking for. Because you're looking for donkeys. But I want you to know this, Saul. Stop chasing donkeys. You don't have to worry about the donkeys. The donkeys are found. But you've come to me for a greater purpose. See, what happened is God had spoke to Samuel the day before and said, hey, tomorrow about this time, there's going to be a man that's going to come. I want you to anoint him king over Israel. So Saul didn't know it. He just thought this was some random chance, this some random meeting, just some coincidence that they were going to meet up and maybe the guy could help him and maybe he couldn't. He'd be on his way back to his father's house, back to a life of ordinary, right? But he did not know that Samuel was going to put a word inside of him that said this. He says, Saul, on you right now, the focus of the kingdom of God is on you. All of heaven is focused on you right now. On you is the desire of the kingdom. Your life is about to radically change. But for it to radically change, here's what I need to do. I need you to get to stop worrying about donkeys. I need to get you to a place where you're not anxious about donkeys. Forget about those, those donkeys that you've been looking for. I've got bigger things for you. You know, and I feel like, you know, sometimes as pastors and, and leaders, a, a lot of us get together and we just want to talk to people and say, listen, don't you know that God created you for something bigger, that there's more out there than just nine to five. There's more out there than just chasing after the career. There's more out there than getting the big house and, and the nice cars. And there's nothing wrong with things and there's nothing wrong with stuff. And, and, and all of that's great. But there's got to be something more to life than just stuff. There's got to be more to life than just setting a few goals and, and getting those goals or going on great vacations or just living for weekends there has to be something more than that amen and I just want to know if somebody else is here this morning just feels like something has been deposited on the inside of them there's just this holy agitation there's just this itch that they just can't seem to scratch because God is just telling them there's something bigger there's something more I've deposited more inside of you you have yet to reach your potential you need to stop chasing after what you're chasing and start focusing on God's kingdom hallelujah amen See, I think there's just more. There's just more. I've always felt this itch, this burning desire that there's more to life. Because listen to me, listen to me, church. I was headed straight to ordinary. I grew up just, just about 30 minutes from here. Palm Beach County, born and raised. I'm one of the few, the proud, still holding the flag. You understand? 
But I was born to just a, a, a plain middle class family. Didn't come from a preacher's home. Didn't come from, from a doctor's home. I, didn't, I was born with silver spoon like most of us. Just had to work. And, and so, but I felt that I felt at a very young age, there's something, there's just something, there's more. And I was headed straight toward ordinary. But God put something on the inside of me that said, you're not built for ordinary. You're not made for ordinary. And listen, it has nothing to do with titles. It has nothing to do with putting a reverend in pastor in front of your name. It has everything to do with believing that God made you unique, that there's nobody on earth like you, that you were born for a purpose. Hallelujah. And each one of us in this room needs to come and discover what I discovered so many years ago, that there's something inside of us. There's a destiny. There's a purpose. There's a reason why I exist. Hallelujah. And the next thing Paul, Saul says to Samuel is this. I'm nothing. Verse 21, he actually says to Samuel, he says, don't you know, I've come from the Benjamin tribe. It's the smallest, the least tribe in all of Israel. And then he says this, not only that, get this, I'm from the least family of the least tribe in all of Israel. I was born on the wrong side of the track. I was born with, with every obstacle in my way. I was born with so many boundaries and borders. I mean, there's just, I mean, I'm just, I'm broke and can't be fixed. So why are you talking to me like that? Huh? And so actually Samuel said, the reason why you're staying here tonight and the reason why you got to spend the night with me is because I need to spend some more time with you, Saul. I need you to get you to know that this, and there's a destiny inside of you and it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter if you were born into some sort of family where there's dysfunction because I got news for you. There's no such thing as a fully functional family. All of us have a little skeletons in the closet. All of us have a little baggage. Come on now. All of us have crazy somewhere back there in our in our DNA listen we've all got it but that doesn't negate the purpose of God for our life amen we still have purpose and we still have destiny hallelujah come on now amen how many you know we all got uncles come on now we all got aunts we all got grandparents listen now we all got stories but God doesn't consult your past to determine your future right he just looks at you as unique individual and he's saying to all of us today, stop chasing after these temporary things that once you find them, they still leave you empty. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this. It says, without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. Amen? And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hallelujah. I want to read you that verse and in a translation that's a paraphrase by a guy named Phillips, J.B. Phillips, he takes that verse and here's what he says. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. The man who approaches God must have faith in two things. First, that God exists. And secondly, that it is worth a man's while to try to find God. Listen, if you believe the first part, here's what I love about that verse and that paraphrase that Phillips does. I love that he breaks it down into two parts. He said it's two things. First, you have to just believe that God exists. How many believe God exists? Amen? We believe God exists. And if we really believe that God exists, then the second part is necessary. We must 
diligently seek Him. Because nothing else that we do, there's nothing else that'll satisfy. I'll never forget watching an interview with the actor named Mel Gibson. He had just completed work on the movie The Passion of the Christ that was one of the most incredible movies ever, ever made. It had an impact on society that just reaches far beyond Hollywood, right? And Mel Gibson had climbed the tallest mountain. Listen, he had got to the highest peak as far as, as being a celebrity is. He was at the top of the A-list. You remember, if you've seen the pictures of him when his movie Braveheart, Braveheart won all those Oscars, he has an Oscar in one hand for best director, and the same night he won an Oscar for best actor. And here he is just holding two Oscars in his hands. And he says to Diane Sawyer in this 2020 interview, he says, Diane, I, I had it all. I had money. I had fame. I had everything that I had ever wanted. I got to the very top, and I found out it was all nothing. I still was empty inside. Listen, we can get all the stuff. We can get everything. We can climb. We can get as high as we possibly can. But do you know this? It's just emptiness. If that's all we're aiming for, if that's all, all our goals are, are just to get more stuff or just to go on more vacations or, or just to live for the weekend or just to get that big house. And once you get to the big house, you got to keep paying for the big house. And then now you need to tile the big house. And now you got to paint the big house. And then you get the nice car, but you're worried it's going to get scratched. And then you got to pay for it to get fixed. And everything just leaves you empty. And there's nothing wrong with stuff. I believe we need to work for our stuff. And I believe we need to work and be successful. And if you do work, you will succeed. I believe that. But how do you know if you're just chasing after that stuff, it leaves you empty. It just leaves you empty. And so there has to be more. There has to be more. I want to give you, over the next two weeks, I want to give you three things. Because if people to ask me as a, as a pastor, they say, hey, what's the number one question you get as a minister? And I would say, easy. I, I, I don't even need to think about it. The number one question I get as a minister is, pastor, how do I find the purpose of God for my life? How do I find God's will for my life? Because you do have a purpose. Let me tell you how you find your purpose. I want to give you three things, just some very practical steps. I'm going to give you one this week and then two next. And the first one is this. You have to adjust your aim from success to significance. You really got to make that adjustment. And that's just a, something that has to be deposited in your spirit. It has to be, listen to me church, a conviction. It can't be just a good idea. It has to be this deep conviction. Remember, it says this, I must come to God and believe first that he is God. Come on now, that's the deep conviction that I have, that God is God. I'm not he is. Amen? And if I really get that deep in my spirit, then something will drive me to him. I will diligently seek him. And so this conviction has to be, okay, I'm not aiming for success. Right? I'm aiming for significance. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus finds some disciples. Right? And this is just how I saw it played out. Now, it may not have happened exactly like this. This is just the way I see it. I just think Jesus walked by and he saw these two guys. And, and of course, I knew that Jesus had these guys in his heart and in his mind. So this wasn't just some random coincidental meeting. And so he walks by and he sees these guys and they're fishing. 
And he says to them, Matthew chapter 4, he says to them, listen, you leave that behind. You come and you follow me. Watch this. And I will make you fishers of men. What I love about the next sentence is this. And immediately. Huh? Immediately they left their nets to follow him. Now, some people think that these were poor, lowly, down on their luck, right? About to go bankrupt fishermen. But if you look at study Peter's life, because Simon is called Peter, right? Later his name would change to Peter. So at this point, him and his brother are fishing. You find that Simon was not a poor man. He was actually a successful businessman, right? He was a fisherman. And so this was not some guy that had no other option. This wasn't some guy that God come rescued. This wasn't some guy that, you know, had a cardboard sign, you know, help me, please. I mean, I, I need to get some fishing gear. Give me some dollars. I mean, this was not some guy who's at the bottom rung about to fall off the life here. This was a guy who was successful. He had everything going for him. And immediately, immediately he shifted his aim. You see what I mean? Immediately he shifted his aim from success. I'm going to be a fisher of fish. Nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to shift my aim and immediately I'm going to shift it. I'm no longer going to be a fisher of fish. I'm now going to be a fisher of men. I'm just refocusing. I'm changing my focus, my aim. I want to live a significant life. Successful is being a fisherman, putting food on a plate, paying for mortgage, right? Paying, paying for the cars, putting your kids through college, putting braces on their teeth, putting clothes on their back. That's success. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's necessary. It's all necessary. But Peter said, Simon said, there's more. And immediately, because this is how I see, I just see it like this. I see it played out like this. I see Jesus coming by and saying, hey, guys, you come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And then he just walked on. And I don't think he looked back to see if anybody was coming, right? I don't think he did that. I think he just walked on by. You know what I mean? Like anybody coming? No. I think he just went. And they caught up to him. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Amen. Because why? Something happened on the inside of them. They just immediately felt that tug and that pull that said, listen, fishing's fun and it's okay and there's nothing wrong with it. And it's necessary to put food on the table. But there just has to be more. See, I believe there's three levels of living. I want to give them to you real quick. Three levels of living. The first one is survival. Survival. That's where 70% of the world lives. I've traveled to, to countries around the world. I've been to some of the poorest places in the world. And I've seen people who are just, they're just trying to survive. You see it here. It's paycheck to paycheck. Right? We're just living for the weekend to get to that next weekend and then work all week to get to that next weekend. And they're just one paycheck away from financial ruin. It's called survival. It's about the woman who would work all day so she'd have enough money to, 
to buy some beans so that she'd eat the beans so that she would have enough strength to get up in the morning to go to work all day so she'd have enough money to buy some beans so that she'd eat the beans to have enough strength to get up in the morning to go to work all day to have enough money to buy beans eat the beans and get up again right it's that cycle and 70% of the world is on that cycle they're just surviving and then the next level is this, success. And that's what so many people aim for. They're just aiming for success. If I could just get the career going, if I could get the business working, if I could get the raise, if I could get the promotion, and we could just get that nest egg, and we could get that house, and we could get that car, and all of that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. I have all of that. That's fine. House, cars, you want to have all that. Savings, right? Where, where you're not, you've had some success in life. And I believe if you work hard, you'll get success, right? I believe in, in, in America that you can go put your, yourself to work. And if you work hard, listen, you'll enjoy the fruit of your labor. But that can't be the ultimate. That can't be the highest. There has to be, there has to be something else. Because that just leaves you empty. If that's all you're shooting for. Listen, if you just shoot for this world, you'll lose it. But if you shoot for the next world, here's what God does. He throws this world in as a bonus. He lets you enjoy all the stuff that you've worked for because you're not living for the stuff, you're living for the kingdom. Hallelujah. So there's nothing wrong with stuff as long as stuff doesn't have you. Amen. You're living for the kingdom. And the next highest level is this, significance. That's when your life counts for something. That's when people can put their head on their pillow and saying the work that I'm doing, the effort, the energy is more than just for temporary things. I'm living to make a difference in somebody's life. I am. You know, as a minister, I've done lots of funerals. Lots of funerals. I've done hundreds of funerals. And, you know, you kind of want to do those funerals where you know the person and you know about their eternal destination. You know they're going to heaven. And funerals are tough, man. I cry at funerals of strangers. So, I mean, it's, it's tough. It's not, it's not easy for me to do a funeral, but because I sense that loss and I sense that there's a separation, I get that, right? But when you know they're going to heaven, it's more of a celebration. You're like, hey, we know where this person is. They're not lost and they're not gone. They're with Jesus. And so it's a celebration, right? I mean, those are the ones that you want to do. But every now and then, I run into a situation where I'm doing a funeral of somebody I didn't know. But the worst funeral I ever did happened to me when I was a young minister. I'd only been pastoring for a couple years. I'd been in ministry probably seven years at the time. I was living in North Florida. And somebody in my church comes up to me and they say, Pastor, can you do a funeral of a friend of mine who lost their mother? And I said, sure, I always say yes. I'm always going to be willing to do that. So I, I went, I, I didn't know the person. Not only did I know the, not know the person who had passed away, I didn't know the family at all. I knew nobody. So I walk into a room where I know nobody. Never had met them before in my life. I walk into a room and there's about three people in the room. And I bring my pad of paper and here's what we hope for. Listen to me. This is what ministers hope for. We hope that they can give me something. Just give me something I could go on. 
Talk to me about their spiritual life. Tell me that, that grandma or mom was saved. Tell me that they were, they were faithful in their church. Tell me that they served God. Tell me something, right? And because I didn't know what I was walking into, and I walked into a situation where they could tell me nothing about this person's life spiritually. There was not one thing they could point to that had any kind of, of hope or thought that the person was in eternity with Jesus, right? So now I'm to construct a sermon and a eulogy and a service based on no information spiritually. Well, I get to the funeral home, there were six people there. Six people. And I had asked the family, I said, does anybody want to share? Please. I need something. I don't know the person, so I need you to, nobody wanted to share. And I get that because I didn't share at my own father's funeral. I, you know, sometimes it's just too emotional for people to do. So I, I, I totally understand that, but nobody wanted to say anything. So I did a funeral for about 15 minutes for a woman who had six people there, and nobody said a word. And I thought to myself, because she was in her 80s when she passed away, and I said to myself, how do you get to live on this earth for 80 years? And nobody can say one word about your life. Nobody. And I contrast that with my favorite funeral I've ever been to. I have a favorite funeral. I have a couple favorites, right? We had a guy here pass away not too long ago, a guy who helped us start the church. Jim, it was an incredible, incredible funeral here. And the place was packed out. What an incredible life that he lived. But my favorite funeral was probably one that I didn't, I didn't do anything. I didn't speak. I just attended. And it was in front of a friend of mine named Dana. And Dana was a minister. But Dana was just an ordinary guy, too. And Dana had worked at Pratt Whitney. And Dana's son was the best man in my wedding and we're still great friends today. And I'd been to Dana's house many times. In fact, I, I burned down part of his back porch. So Dana and I had a conversation on that when I was just a teenager. And then I broke Dana's window playing a game. And so Dana had a conversation with me about that because Dana was bold and blunt and had no problem talking to me just like this. Brian, you know what I mean? It's like he would just let me have it. And we ended up becoming friends and we would golf together. And he ended up passing away way too soon. When I went to his funeral at Trinity, it was packed. I'm talking about the main floor of that sanctuary. They'd taken some seats out because they were remodeling, but the place from front to back was packed. And, you know, as a minister, I don't usually suggest people getting up to share because you never know where that's going to go. Have you been to those funerals? <laughs> I, I said, no, no, let's, let's, not, let's, just, let's not open the floor, right? But I know this. If we had opened the floor for Dana's funeral, we'd have been there for days. Because there were so many men and women who would say, this guy made an eternal difference in my life. He made an impact in my life. You know, I don't know what they're going to say about me, because you know what we say at funerals? We say the same thing about everybody. They love their family. And I hope that's said about me, and I hope it's said about you too. We all want that. But how many of you know we say that about everybody? True or not, <laughs> we say that about everybody, you know? But I hope there's more. 
I hope that when I get to the end of my days, whenever that is, that somebody would say, this person made a difference in my life that counts for eternity. Would you do this this morning, church? Would you bow your heads and, and close your eyes for just a minute? If you joined us on Facebook or YouTube, man, we thank you for being with us today. And I encourage you to share this video with somebody. And, uh, and don't forget to, to, to sign up for baptism class and be a part of our connect groups, even if you're, you're online and you're social distancing. So thank you for being with us today. We love you. We miss you. We'll see you hopefully very soon. 